I'm Alex Mosed, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. So the first story today is that we have a Netflix down. We've been talking about on the show, oh man, so many times. We're not bullish on Netflix. We are skeptical of Netflix because Netflix is not a platform business, because Netflix doesn't have supply side network effects to create a barrier. Uh, to other entrants like Disney Plus, Apple TV Plus, HBO Max, uh, Amazon Prime Video, Paramount Plus. I don't know which ones am I forgetting? Probably a couple at this point. Disney Plus is approaching 100 million subscribers. It came out within 18 months ago. When you have a platform dynamic with two sided network effects, with consumers and suppliers on one side, what that gives you is a winner-take-all dynamic, hence the name of the show. Netflix doesn't have that because all of that content sits on Netflix's balance sheet, right? They have to pay for it, create it themselves, or license it. There's no contributed model where you have millions of producers like YouTube, right? We've seen YouTube remain in a platform monopolistic position for a long time. We've seen Barry Diller at IAC. Barry Diller understands platforms better than just about anyone. He owns Expedia. He owns Angie's List, Home Advisor, Handy. He owns Match and Tinder. The guy knows a thing or two about platforms and, and network effects and winner-take-all dynamics. There's a reason why Vimeo pivoted away from trying to compete against YouTube. Vimeo is now a SaaS tool provider to content creators. They're actually doing really well, but you can't compete against that platform monopoly. You certainly can't hold a candle to a platform monopoly within 18 months of launching. It's just, it's just not possible. And that is because what you would need to do to successfully compete against YouTube is convince millions of content creators to move off of YouTube, or at the very least, publish in two different places. And that's a very uh, uphill battle. That's the chicken and egg problem, right? How do you get demand to get more supply and vice versa? And how do you, how do you climb that pyramid? Very difficult thing to do, very expensive thing to do. That's why platforms enjoy the highest margins as compared to any other business model, including SaaS business model. That's why the platforms enjoy the highest valuation multiples as compared to any other business model. That is why now you see Netflix. Although when you look at Netflix's earnings that they just came out with, when you look at this, it actually looks pretty good, right? They actually beat on earnings in Q1. They beat on revenue. Look, all the other quarters, they missed on earnings. But their stock didn't nosedive. And why is that? Down to, you know, roughly $500 a share from like 550. So losing 10% of value after coming out with earnings. Why that is, is because these tech companies, these stocks, they're growth stocks. And what the investors want to see is unabated growth. And that is what slowed in Netflix's earnings result, was their subscriber growth. That's what the investors are looking at for these high-tech growth stocks. That's why they're called growth stocks. You have value investors and you have growth investors. And when the growth slows, because why did the growth slow? Because the market is more competitive. 
It is more saturated for Netflix, right? So they, they already had an uphill battle. But now you've got a bunch of very well-funded, these are some of the biggest companies in the world, nipping at their heels. And you know what Netflix is? Netflix is a movie studio. They're not a platform. They're a movie studio with really good digital pipes for distribution. It's a linear business. Doesn't mean it's a bad business. It just means that it's overvalued. We called it. And now I think you're seeing it. I don't think it ends there. You got people here like Kathy Wood, who is still bullish and buying the dip. Horrible idea. Horrible idea. Growth isn't going to come back. There's no magic switch that Netflix can just push at this point. Actually, the competition is only going to heat up on Netflix. Disney at almost 100 million subscribers. HBO Max, over 40 million subscribers. Peacock from Comcast, over 30 million subscribers. They're only going to get more aggressive. They're only going to get more into their own groove as they figure out how to embrace this new model. It is a new business model, but it's not a platform model. So yeah, I don't think Netflix is out of the woods. I would definitely not be buying the dip because I don't think it's a dip. I think this is the beginning of a more competitive environment. This is Netflix turning a leaf. And, and the last point I'll make on this is one of the, you know, newsletters here talking about Netflix says, Hastings has shown real discipline by staying singularly focused on building Netflix's video streaming service. Another CEO might have been tempted to diversify into other forms of entertainment like podcasting or music or to broaden its programming into new areas like sports. While that may not happen, it is conceivable Hastings might start to think about selling. This might be the right time for him to cash out. Sell to Apple. Great idea. Um, I don't know who wrote this one. Martin Pierce. But look at this. Another CEO might have been tempted. Tempted to diversify. That's the CEO's job, is to keep innovating. The reason why Netflix is in this position It's not like this is a small little baby company that's going to get distracted by innovating or exploring new models or new categories of content. This is over $200 billion market cap company after taking a 10% haircut on their stock. This is a symptom of leadership not innovating, not going into new categories. You want to know who's going into new categories? Spotify is going into new categories. Why is Spotify going into new categories? For the same reason that Netflix just had 10% stock dip. Because... There's no fragmentation of the supply, right? You can't build a marketplace. You can't build a dominant platform without fragmented supply. It just doesn't work that way. Premium kind of video movie content, it's not very fragmented. There's like five big movie studios. Netflix is now one of them. Um, Where there is fragmented supply in music is not music. It's in podcasting, right? Podcasting, super fragmented. Where have we seen Spotify investing, getting Joe Rogan, getting other big marquee podcasters? It's, a, it's what we call a marquee strategy. You go secure, you know, uh, key producer side, supply side assets to draw more demand, right, to your offering. I think it's a very smart move for content platforms like a Spotify to actually try and become a platform, right? Spotify, not a platform with just music. Podcasting has a platform business model because you actually have producers and consumers, right? You actually have contributors that are contributing inventory. Asset light. Spotify doesn't need to pay for that podcasting inventory. It's not a liability like their music business is. Now, it's not a huge part of Spotify's business today, but it can grow. And I think it's a great, very wise decision for Spotify to invest in that. Why has Netflix not done that? Why has Netflix not 
embraced what I would call more broadly user-generated content. That's what podcasting is. This show is user-generated content. This is a video podcast. Netflix and their leadership has failed to stay ahead of the curve. This was obvious. I've been talking about it for years, and I don't get paid like Reed Hastings gets paid. He should have seen this. Maybe he did see it. He probably saw it. He just didn't act. And that is a failure in leadership. You want to know another example of a, of a company that is commonly confused to be a platform company, but is not a platform company, whose stock has also been pretty flat lately, is Zoom. The China risk to them has not been the reason that their stock has been flat. But it goes back to the business model. Zoom peaked at like 540. Now in the 330s. Right? A year ago, it was just slightly under 200. Really taking a lot of that return off these past six months. Like peaking here in October. Zoom is not a platform business. Zoom doesn't have that network effect dynamic, right? Zoom doesn't have, like you think about a communication platform, you know, you don't have this dynamic of like WhatsApp, for example, where, you know, you have friendless, you're friending people, you're building relationships or like Slack, right? That, that communication kind of collaboration platform, right? Every time you, you join a Zoom call, it's a new instance. Yes, you can have your own account, but you don't have this idea of like double opt-in network effects. You don't have this idea of like friending. Many people just join a Zoom and, and the person creating the Zoom call has an account, but you don't have that two-sided stickiness, right? You don't have, as a result, that network effect. Maybe Zoom will change that. But that is the other challenge, um, or that is the other misconception with Zoom's business model. They talk about themselves like a, a platform, I don't know, like maybe 80 times in their 10K, I think it is. Um, they are not a platform business. They will not be going into plat. There's no true network effect, which means there's no true winner-take-all dynamic. There are a bajillion Zoom clones right now. That's why you see Zoom actually launching a VC fund to try and spur companies to build apps on top of Zoom. That's a development platform model, right? So, hey, that's a good way for Zoom to innovate. How can they embrace a platform model? Dev platform. Get a bunch of integrations on top of your Zoom platform, development platform for video streaming. That makes sense to me. Zoom leadership, making strides. Netflix, doing nothing. Don't even hear them wanting to do anything. Okay, that's their prerogative. I wouldn't buy it. I wouldn't invest in it but that way. I wouldn't take Kathy Wood's lead say that much. So next topic is Microsoft. Microsoft just bought Nuance for a boatload of money. Nuance is a, you know, they would probably call themselves a communication platform, but it's really just like a um, video streaming, more of a technology business than it is um, a true platform company. Not to critique the, the warrants of the acquisition. My point here is that actually, you know, Microsoft is smart. They are seeing that eventually, although what's ironic is, they're unabated by it right now. But I mean, you would think with all the spotlight on big tech, with congressional hearings, which I'm going to touch on here in a, in a second, going on, that that might cause them to slow down on their M&A spree. And nope, it's exactly the opposite. If anything, I think it's speeding it up. 
And these big tech monopolies, Microsoft included, are trying to see how much stuff they can get done before it might close on them in the future. So they tried to buy Discord. And the Wall Street Journal reported here that Discord has ended talks uh, with Microsoft. The chat startup wants to stay independent and, and you know, wants to try an IPO. Discord really rose to fame and scale by catering to the video gaming network um, where you were you know, playing games online with friends and then you needed an app to, to talk you know, um, very quickly, very good audio chat capability and physical text chat capability, right? How can you kind of join a Discord room, go raid a bunch of virtual monsters? <laughs> that was my my teens uh, playing a bunch of MMORPGs. But I don't think Discord was really around when I was doing that. That shows, again, dating myself here. But anyway, this is how, this is how these tech monopolies expand is through M&A, right? That's how they branch out into new platform types, other platform types, right? There's eight different types of platform business models. So this is how Microsoft's saying, hey, let's get into you know, this kind of communication platform uh, world more aggressively. We've seen them get into the social networking world with LinkedIn. We saw them get into communications, you know, with Skype. They, they took multiple bites at that apple. So, you know, this Discord is a, is a communication platform play, which is a little bit of a, of a weak spot in their arsenal, despite having Skype. But yeah, there is some overlap here. If you look at Skype, <laughs> Nuance, and Discord. Microsoft's not playing any games around, you know, audio and video um, as a mechanism to communicate in the future. That is certain. Discord shut this down. I'm curious as to why. Maybe it was maybe it was out of fear that the deal would be broken up or attempted to be broken up by regulators. The Nuance acquisition again, I don't think is as potentially contentious as a Discord acquisition is here. But nonetheless, not going through. They want to try and go the IPO route. And, um, you know, that's, that's the model. I think the other nice thing about what this would have been for Microsoft is just the clear parallel with gaming and Xbox and how Microsoft shuttered Mixer, um, their competitor to Twitch owned by Amazon. Lots of interesting synergy here with a play like this. I actually really like it if they were able to get it done both with Discord and regulators. Really interesting play around gaming, around communication. And, you know, I think there's, a, you know, we're really just getting into this, uh, um, getting into this space in terms of, we're, we're very far away from maturity and seeing these kind of platform models uh, manifest themselves in, in US and, and Western markets. So that's a, a real interesting one. My bull in the China shop reference though, is that, Microsoft just goes in swinging. They don't care about the collateral damage. They don't care about the optics. Why? Because they got regulatory lock-in. They got lobbyists oozing all over DC and they're just going for it. And you got to give, I mean, you got to give uh, Satya credit. I mean, look at what he's done with Azure. Look at what he's done with the other platform businesses inside of Microsoft. Look at the LinkedIn deal. I mean, the guy is strong and he's making moves. I think Microsoft has the least regulatory risk, by the way, of FAMGA. Okay, next topic, Walmart, a future tech monopoly, um, you know, a old linear retail monopoly 
Um, but now, you know, again, on, on its way to be the number two behind Amazon, we've called it for years. Kirk could splice that one a bajillion times also and tee that up for everyone here. But Walmart, we've been very supportive of Walmart. Walmart in the past few weeks, um, losing a little bit of political capital on the show. Why? Because, you know, we covered some, some double speak. I feel like I'm just quoting the book 1984 these days. Anyway, we called them out on their double speak. And now I've got some visuals to support it, which just puts salt on the wound. But the double speak was this Walmart to invest $350 billion in US manufacturing. This is just PR fluff. I'm surprised, but also not surprised that the Washington Post ran this story. And then um, we also covered that, you know, that story came out on the Washington Post. And then like two weeks later, Walmart announced that they were removing their requirement that sellers had to be US entity, US listed companies. So not based in the United States, you could still be a Chinese seller and have a US entity and sell on Walmart. And now Walmart has gotten rid of that requirement. Their head of marketplace, this guy, Jeff Clements, has said, but don't worry, we're still going to have super high quality requirements. Don't worry, we're still going to support US manufacturers. We're spending $350 billion, which is a drop in the bucket um, over 10 years. And now, Jeff Clements, the head of uh, SVP at Walmart, heading up all marketplace. Where does he go? Shenzhen, China. Here's their conference. Sellers must have a valid Chinese business license. Sounds like an oxymoron to me. They're getting more factories from China to sign up directly and say, let's make this easier on you, factory. Don't even worry about having a U.S. entity. That's fine. Just come sell on the marketplace. We'll do the fulfillment. We'll figure it all out. But like, give us your supply. Give us your supply. It's a really sad thing. It's a really sad thing for U.S. sellers, for U.S. manufacturing, uh, for the broader outlook of just, you know, the U.S. economy uh, and what we need to desperately do, which is bring more manufacturing back to the United States. That's why Walmart is playing games with us because, you know, they come out with this, right? And then they hit you with this. But they don't want, they don't want the Washington Post to cover this. They want the Washington Post to cover this. Come on, guys. Just play it straight. Why go through the games? It's a game. Why go through the games? And then make me have to be the bad cop and call it out, right? Anyway, they're playing the game. And uh, yeah. natural evolution of these. So, another bull in China, mo China shop moment is Apple. <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, they, they're just, they're just uh, really shooting themselves in the foot. So, this big congressional hearing all about app stores in Congress. Apple is like the clear target of all of these companies. By all of these companies, I mean companies like Spotify and Tile. You know those like, you know, tiles you can put on your stuff and they connect to the phone. That company. Um, so they're testifying in front of Congress, right? And then what does Apple decide to do? The day before the hearings. 
issue like a mea culpa, issue like some kind of thing to, to take some heat off of themselves going into the hearings. No, they decide to launch a copycat of Tile. Apple AirTag is a Tile rival. Price, free engraving, Hermes accessories, privacy, and more. Literally, the day before the congressional hearing. The day before. They launch basically a replica of Tile. And I've got the video clip from the people at Tile. Maybe we can listen to a little bit of this. Basically, what Ms. Daru says here is, Apple, you restricted us from using certain functions on the phone, right? So you prohibited us from using certain APIs. And then you launched a competitive product using those APIs. You're a monopoly, and this isn't fair. Let's watch a, you know, let's watch a minute or so. Tile helps people find lost items. Our devices work with the Tile app to help people find their keys, wallet, purse, really anything. We also embed our technology into third-party products like headphones, laptops, and wearables. We're a small company with only, with less than 150 employees, but we pioneered this category and found success even in the face of significant competition, ranging from other startups to Fortune 50 companies. Much of our success relates both to world-class features and a commitment to both privacy and importantly, interoperability. We believe consumers should have a seamless finding experience across any platform, including Android and iPhone. And this is, again, this is where platform monopolies get into troubles when they double dip. So it's one thing to, to squeeze your producers, your suppliers for margin, right? But as long as you squeeze all producers the same, then at least you're not playing favorites, right? Okay, like, sure, you're taking advantage of your suppliers, but you're taking advantage of all suppliers. So it's not as bad, right? When you squeeze the suppliers and then you directly compete with the suppliers, that vertical, in that vertical integration, that directly competing with your suppliers dynamic, that's where you should at least get into trouble. Now, in the government has been swinging and missing on this. Well, they haven't even really been trying to swing, but they've kind of like miffed. I don't even know if they really, they didn't take a full swing. They were like warming up, getting ready to go at bat. And then, you know, they were like stretching and then they, they like pulled a muscle and tapped out from even going to bat. And then they kind of finally got to at bat and then they like tried to bunt and it's just, it's just not working out well. Now, it's for a variety of reasons. Uh, corruption's definitely at the top of that list. But, and what I would call a, a nicer word or a couple words would be regulatory capture. That's called uh, lobbying and money. But despite all of that, this is where platforms, whether it gets tried in the courts or Congress or wherever, this is where you go against, this is where platform monopolies take advantage of that monopoly power is by squeezing producers and then going a step further and actually directly competing with the producers. We've seen Amazon do this a bunch of times, Amazon Basics. We covered that, you know, that bag thing um, a couple episodes ago on the show where they literally just made their own version of the bag 
<laughs> and they actually like named it the same thing too. And then they changed the name because the company, the startup put out a great video calling out Amazon. So you see this all, you see this all over the place. Um, we see Google doing this. We see, we see, we see this all over the place. Actually, Facebook, not including Microsoft because they're more B2B. And I think they've you know, deliberately kind of shied away from some of the B2C stuff, except in gaming. But um, of the B2C facing FAMGA tech monopolies, Facebook actually has the least vertical integration where they're competing with their producers. They're completely overzealous on content censorship and regulation, also not okay. But actually, when you look at the vertical competition dynamic that I'm talking about, of the four, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Google, Facebook's actually the best in that regard. Um, Amazon, the worst. And then I'd say it's like a tie between Apple and Google. But that's what they're getting at. Apple, another bull, China shop, just destroying China all over the place. Just They, like, they just kicked the $5,000 China off the top shelf. But anyway, this is the note we will end on. Inflation. No winter is coming. Inflation is coming. I would actually argue that inflation is here. But, you know, the people at the Fed would pretty heavily disagree with that. But... Everyone can make up their own opinion. I'll give you a couple examples about why inflation is actually here. And if you don't want to believe that, then inflation is definitely coming, like big time inflation, not like 3% inflation. I'm talking like big inflation. What do I mean by that? Okay. There are signs, right? There are signs of the market just not acting efficiently. And then there are weird cues all over the place. I had the, the chief economist of Lending Tree on the show. He didn't agree about inflation, but I did get him to agree on asset price inflation. What does that mean? Asset price inflation means investment assets like stocks, clear inflation, um, like um, housing prices, like um, crypto, <laughs> uh, like private company valuations. You know, we've covered that at the end of last year, we issued a, you know, tech startup kind of M&A year in review report. And what we highlighted there was that we were seeing drastic increases in valuations of tech startups that were mid to later stage, like series C, D and beyond. And now what we're seeing, and we've covered this on the show before, we're seeing um, crazy valuation increases with early stage startups and now there's reports, we've also covered this, that the growth stage VCs, like you had the private equity and the hedge fund people going into late stage tech startups. Now you've got the growth stage VCs or the later stage VCs. They're being crammed down to go invest in the early stage startups. So there's just, right, it all cascades down. So when you, and it takes time because we're just printing maybe, now we're not at 10 trillion yet between Federal Reserve and Federal Government, but we'll probably break 10 this calendar year or close there. We're printing a lot of money. The only saving grace, if you take a giant step back, is that China has been printing way more money than we have, probably 3x the amount of money than we have. It doesn't make it okay, <laughs> but uh, it's a whole other thing. But anyway, point is, inflation is coming. Another example, we do a lot of work in um, B2B distribution. We work, so again, if you want to look at the, 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 the time lag, right? So inflation is measuring the end consumer products that people are buying, right? They got a basket of products, the Fed, they measure that basket of products price over time. That's how they measure, right? You got a baseline 
then you measure is this baseline basket of products going up or down in price. So what you have to understand is that it's not like you print $7 trillion or more now and then boom, inflation. It has to make its way through the system. What the people that are, you know, supposed to be smarter than all of us plebes um, will tell us is that don't worry about money supply. Don't worry about all the money we're printing. Inflation, don't worry about it. Basically, what they're saying is it's not creeping into inflation. It just takes time. So, and here's why I can tell you it's coming because you're seeing it in these investment assets, right? You're seeing it, it look at the price of um, home goods, right? All the people buying homes, doing home, like, look at the price of lumber. Look at the price of these raw materials going into this. Look at the price of food. Look at the price of gas. And now in B2B distribution, right? Which is, you know, one or two steps removed from the end consumer buying products on the shelf. But in B2B distribution, our clients are telling me that, yeah, they had, they were up big last year. Revenue's up big, big revenue gains. And they said, you know, well, probably 25% of that revenue increase was uh, growth. One with the other 75% revenue, I mean, uh, yeah, revenue increase came from inflation. The price of the goods became more, which means their revenues increased. But it wasn't because of growth, right? It was just because the price of their order volume, uh, you know, they did similar order, number of orders, right? But just the products now go for more money. So that then increases the revenue. But the fundamentals of the business actually only had 25% of that overall revenue gain was legitimate growth. 75% is inflation. Now that inflation, because that's in the distribution world, doesn't get measured in the Fed's basket, right? It's not a consumer good. So this is the lag I'm talking about. That's what I mean. Inflation is coming. A thousand percent is coming. And then what you just need to understand is, I mean, you can't stop it from coming. So you might as well figure out how to thrive in a hyperinflationary environment. That's the real question. Uh, but it's coming. Question is, what are you going to do to benefit from that kind of an environment? And if you want some ideas on that, go watch our Jim Rickards uh, episode interview from a couple months ago now. That's it for us today on Winner Take All. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I will talk to you soon.